Good afternoon. Ah. Oh. Okay, this 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 side here in the front is ready. Good afternoon. There we go, church. There we go. I'm excited about today. That today is the conclusion of our series uh, titled "The Timeline," in where we uh, we were studying some passage a passage in the book of Daniel as well as a passage in the book of Matthew. Uh, just out, just 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 studying and looking at what uh, the end times will look like, and trying to understand better of what uh, trying to understand a little bit better what to, what we're going to see or what's going to happen during those days, and what's going to uh, let us know that we are, we are at the end of the age. And, and I, I enjoy this because even as a kid, um, when I was young and, and I, I came to trust in Christ, one of the first things I did was study the book of Re- Revelation time and time again, just time and time again, reading and reading, uh, because I really wanted to try to understand the end times. And I was just fascinated with all of the imagery uh, and, and the, literal, uh, the, the literal significance that, that there is in, in the book of Revelation and just trying to understand it. And so I was very... Uh, you know, I was just very intrigued by that. And I know that just as for me, as it is for a lot of you, and for even a lot of people that are unbelievers, there's just such a big curiosity that, that, that comes with the end times and what's going to happen. How, how is that going to look? Uh, will there be a God? Will there be this? Will there be that? What's going to happen at the end of the age? And uh, so being that there's so much curiosity about it, I've really enjoyed being able to go through this series together with you guys and learning and understanding a bit more. So the last several weeks, we've come to understand some of the signs. We've come to understand uh, what's going to happen, things to look for. But today, I hope to answer the part of, so what? Now that I have this information, now that I know this, now that I know what, the sign, what, what signs to look for, now that I have an idea of the season and how that season's going to look, now, so what? what? What do I do with that? Because that's the natural question that comes after receiving some information is now what do I do with that? So today, I hope to answer that for you guys and uh, for myself as well. And we'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 24. And uh, the verses we'll be focusing on are verses 36 through 51. And if you don't have your Bible with you, there is a Bible. There should be a Bible underneath the chair in front of you. And with that Bible, you can, atter- you can turn to page 830, and you will be able to read along with us there in chapter 24, verses uh, 36 through 51. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you didn't bring one, uh, there, the passages will be behind me on the projector as well as the points so that you can fill in the blanks. Uh, so again, the question is now, so now what? So what? what? What do I do with this? What do I do with this information? Why is this information important? And... Uh, you know, one of the things that, that, like I said, I remember is just have, being very curious about understanding what the, the book of Revelation said, understanding the end times. And uh, so I, that's just natural to have that. And, and one wants to be ready and try to be ready as much as we can for what's going to happen. And it reminds me of, of a football player. Uh, his name was Kurt Warner. And uh, he was a great quarterback. He went down as one of the best, one of the best ever. But Kurt Warner wasn't always one of the best. As a matter of fact, Kurt Warner came up, I believe, uh, with the, uh, the, the Green Bay Packers as a third-string quarterback or fourth-string quarterback in, in a training camp. Uh, unfortunately for him, the quarterbacks on the roster was um, Brett Favre, Mark Brunel, uh, who both became great starters in the league. And there was one more, I believe, it could have been Ty Detmer. Uh, but he was like the fourth string, he was fifth string. He just was, a, he was the forgotten one. And at the end of that training camp, he was told he wasn't good enough to play on the team. 
So Kurt Warner was, was let go. He was released. Uh, and Kurt Warner went home, and he began, uh, he began playing arena football. But not only did he begin playing arena football, he was humbled to the point of, can you imagine, he, he had reached the pinnacle of, of, of every, uh, every person's dream that plays American football, which was making it to the NFL. Okay, he's told he's not good enough, so he goes down and plays for an arena league, but they don't pay well enough. So not only is he playing arena football, but he's also stocking shelves at a local grocery store to make ends meet for him and his family. Uh, so, but the one thing that Kurt Warner did was he stayed ready and he maintained his readiness, his preparedness. Uh, playing in the arena football league, it allowed him to keep his, his mind sharp as a quarterback. It allowed him to keep his arm uh, in shape. It allowed him to stay in shape as an athlete. And he finally got another opportunity to come. He was, got an invitation to play for the St. Louis Rams and came to training camp. That year, the St. Louis Rams had put together a really good team, and the quarterback was Trent Green. And Trent Green was their chosen quarterback. They thought with Trent Green and the receivers and the running back that they had, which was, I think, Marshall Falk at that time, we have a great team and we can win the Super Bowl. We can go deep into the playoffs and possibly win the Super Bowl. Well, the first game of the preseason... Trent Green goes down for the entire season. He's injured and he, can't, he won't play for the remainder of the season. It was so devastating that the head coach of the Rams, Dick Vermeule, almost cried at his press conference talking about Trent Green and Trent Green going down. What that lets you know is not even the coach knew how good of a quarterback Kurt Warner was because no one knew. But listen, Kurt Warner stayed ready. He kept working, he kept getting smarter, he kept getting sharper as a quarterback, and he kept working. When no one knew about him and everyone told him, no, 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 you're not good enough, he kept working, kept working. And when he stepped into his opportunity, not only did Kurt Warner excel, but he will go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. That year, he took the Rams to the Super Bowl, they won the championship, he was the Super Bowl MVP. And then even after that, he goes and plays for the Arizona Cardinals, who had never gone to a Super Bowl, takes them to a Super Bowl, and he almost beats the dreaded Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I remember the play. Larry Fitzgerald had come open on a quick slant. He threw him the ball, and he took off. And Eddie remembers it, too, because Eddie thought, man, this game is lost. Larry Fitzgerald beats the defense, goes up, touchdown. I thought, yeah, the Steelers won't win. That means they won't, they, won't, they won't tie the Cowboys for the amount of Super Bowl wins uh, for a franchise. So I was really happy. But then after that, uh, you know, the Steelers went and scored. I think Eddie was on his knees praying quite a bit. Were you, Eddie? I think he was on his knees. He was praying quite a bit. Please let him score, please. And I, on the other hand, I couldn't care because I hated the Steelers. I just didn't want them to win. So he almost defeats the Steelers, almost wins another Super Bowl with the franchise that had never gone. But it only happened because Kurt Warner was willing to stay ready in and out of season. He wasn't a quarterback. He wasn't good enough. So he went and he played arena football. He went and stocked grocery shelves. Um, um, again, just imagine the humility that took. But then he ended up being one of the best because he remained ready. So my question for you today is, is are you ready for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready? 
You see, because again, we go through the process of learning and understanding what we, we've learned through the book of Daniel and Matthew. And, and we say, okay, now we kind of have an idea. Of the, well, we know the signs. We kind of have an idea of when that season will happen because this, these signs will, will put this in place and, and that season will begin. And we know that the generation that's here that sees these signs in this season get kicked off will be the generation that will see the second coming of Christ. So we know that's going to happen. But now what? And my question to you is simple, are you ready? Because I believe God calls us to be ready for this moment in and out of season. Just from now till the coming of Christ, we are called to be ready. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's go ahead and jump into the passage. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. I just want to comment before we begin that this is continuing the the, the passage and the teaching of Christ from last week where we read about the second coming of, of, of Christ in verses 29 through uh, 35. So it's continuing that. And so let's go ahead and pick, there, pick up there. And verse 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And I'm just going to stop there. I'm going to stop there because we see something very important here. We see the word but, and what the word but signifies is a contrast to either something that's being taught uh, in, in, in the previous or something after. But we see here that the word but is a direct contrast to the paragraph right before this paragraph that we're reading in. Remember last week we looked at the lesson of the fig tree. And the lesson of the fig tree says that uh, as soon as its branch becomes tender and it puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, what do we consider summer to be? A season. A season within the year. So Jesus is giving a direct contrast to this thought of the season, and he's saying, look, these signs will let you know that you are within the season. But within that season, no one will know the day or time of my return. Not the angels, nor the Son, only the Father. So many times we could look at this and we could think, well, this is a contrast in topics and this could be uh, talking about the rapture. As we continue, you're going to see some things. You're going to say, well, that looks a lot like the rapture, but it's not. Uh, not to say that we don't believe in the rapture or not to say anything against the rapture. This is just simply following the outline of this passage and seeing what Jesus is talking about. And it's simple. He's talking about the second coming, the millennial kingdom that will be established. Uh, so let's go ahead and pick up in verse 37. It says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the second coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the second coming of the, of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one will be left. So again, we have this thought of the second coming of Christ. Now, uh, as I mentioned, it could be very easy to look at this passage and think that this is talking about uh, the rapture. Uh, but I'm just going to ask you some questions uh, to try again to direct you to where this, this passage is leading to. Uh, the first thing is, once again, we look at the word but, which is a direct contrast to the paragraph before, the lesson of the fig tree. Jesus is saying, you will know the season, but the day and time within that season, no one knows. Okay? Uh, in the times of Noah, okay, who was swept away? The unrighteous. 
the unrighteous was swept away. So that's one of the, you know, it's one of the things that we see is that when the second coming of Christ comes, it will come with judgment and the unrighteous will be swept away and the believers will stay. And as it continues, it says uh, that one man be in the field or two men will be in the field, one will be left, one will be taken. Uh, one woman, it says two women at the, uh, grinding at the mill, one will be left, one will be taken. Again, the imagery is the same as what we saw in Noah's day where the unrighteous is taken away, is swept away, and the righteous remains. Okay, so that's what he's teaching. So my first point of today is this, is I can rest assured that no one will know or be able to predict the day and time of the second coming of Christ. I can rest assured that no one will know or be able to predict the day and time of the second coming of Christ. And that's very important to know and to, I mean, once when you're looking at these types of passages and you're looking at the end times and you're trying to understand what's, what's going to happen, the very first thing that's important for us to know as a church is that no one will know the day and time of the second coming of Christ. So if no one will know, should we put so much effort and energy into trying to predict or figure out when the second coming will be? If Scripture is telling us that no one will know within church, what I recommend is that we stop spending so much time, effort, and energy into trying to figure this out. I recommend that we stop following the, the new voice and that voice who's saying, I predict this and I predict that and this is when that's going to happen and that's when this is going to happen because the scripture here says no one will know. I mean, Jesus himself, he says here that, nor even, that not the angels nor the son. And who was the son? Jesus. And we know that Jesus was the greatest prophet of all. And he didn't know. So for any prophet to come along today and to say that they know the day and time and try to predict when this is going to happen is them putting themselves above Christ as a prophet and we know that that's not possible. So if, if the greatest prophet of all doesn't know, that means no one, no one will know. So it's important, again, church, it's important for us to understand this, it's just, it's so hard. Because I, you know, again, I was young. I was reading the book of Revelations on and on and on and on. So I kept thinking, man, when is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? Because you're just so excited of, of just to see the power of God being displayed in a way that everyone will see and bow and say, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. That's the Lord God. I mean, that's, it, it's, it's exciting to see that as a believer. And I say exciting because we can, we can also rest assured that that, that we, having the salvation of Christ, won't experience a lot that's going to happen. So we, we know that we are saved because of the salvation of Christ Jesus and clothed in his righteousness. So it, it's exciting, and because of that excitement, too many times we get into what we're not supposed to get into. And as we keep reading, we're going to see what Jesus wants us to get into. We're going to see what Scripture wants us to focus on. But the one thing he doesn't want us to focus on is trying to know the specific day and time. Church, we may know the season that will be indicated by the signs, but even within that season, however many days are within that season, no one will know, and it will be a surprise to everyone when Christ comes. So let's keep reading here. Let's go to verse 42. 
says this. It says, therefore, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. We see there that, that Jesus is giving a directive, a command. He says, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had not had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Again, Jesus is driving home this, this point that you're not going to know. No one's going to know. It's going to be at a moment that you least expect it to be. And, and that's when I will come. So he's using this imagery, this uh, this example of, of if, if someone were to tell a man they're going to break into his house and at what time the thief is going to come, um, would he not stay awake to protect his home and his belongings and family? Yeah, absolutely. Now listen, uh, in, in 2008 there was a crash in, 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 on Wall Street and many people lost millions if not billions of dollars because of that crash. If if someone would have gone to tell those people, hey, on this day, the market's going to crash and you're going to lose all of your retirement, would they not have gone to save and be ready for that moment and prepared for that moment to go and pull out their investment to be able to save that from the crash and from losing it? Absolutely. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And again, he's using the, the imagery of a thief in the night, of, of a thief coming at night, because the thief comes when you least expect it to happen. You never know when the thief is going to come. And again, he's using that example to drive home the point that no one will know. No one will know. But he does give us a directive and a command, and that is to be ready. And that brings me to my second point. My privilege as a believer is to be ready for his return at all times. My privilege as a believer is to be ready for his return at all times. You know, and, and it's interesting because it is a privilege. It's a privilege that you and I have that we can say with confidence, with a bold confidence and assurance that we are ready and we're only ready because we're clothed in, clothed in his righteousness. We're ready because he died on the cross for your sins and mine and his righteousness is accounted to you and me. And we're ready, so we have that privilege. But what does ready mean? What is what does being ready mean? What, if, 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 if I'm not supposed to sit around and try to wait and predict and find out when Christ is coming and know the exact time, well, what, what does ready mean? And he lays this out here in the passage for us, and, and he's telling us to just be ready. Be ready. Be vigilant. Know that I can come at any time, at any hour, any day, and you need to be ready for that. You need to be ready for that. So it is our privilege to know. It is our privilege to be ready and to be in a, in a state of readiness for the return of Christ. Let's keep going. Let's go to verse 45. It says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Okay, so now he's using this, this imagery of, of speaking of, of what this readiness looks like. And we see two important things. We see that he, he, uh, he recognizes faithful and wise. 
and you have this wise and faithful servant, but what is a servant doing? This is, this is, this is the thing. Is, is this is where we get into the, the, the issue of what are we supposed to be uh, doing and, and how does readiness look? And we see it here. He says, blessed is, blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing when he comes, when he comes. Doing, doing, doing is an action word. It's not sitting back. It's not sitting idle waiting for this return. It's not sitting idle waiting for something to happen. It's not, it's not just sitting back and, and watching TV and kicking your feet up and drinking some coffee and, and saying, well, I know that Christ is coming back. Oh, all right, well, I'll, I'll just wait to see when that happens. I'll be just fine. But that's not what he says here. He says that the faithful servant is what? He's doing He's doing. He's in action. He's in motion. He's being faithful with what he was commanded to do. It doesn't say here that he went above and beyond. It doesn't say here that he was doing what he wasn't equipped to do. It says here that he was doing simply what his master had asked him to do. For what? To give them food at the proper time. It was a specific command. It was a specific uh, duty that this servant had to fulfill. And he was fulfilling it when this, when this master came back and he found him doing, being faithful, being faithful. And then you see the, com the complete contrast in verse 48. It says, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that sounds, that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But let me give you a reality check. I don't even think that can truly give us a true example and a good example of what it will be to be separate from God for the rest of eternity. We see being cut into pieces where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I still don't think that does justice to what it will be like to be separate from God for eternity. But he gives us the example again, starting with the word but, showing the contrast to the wise servant. He says, this one said, my master is delayed. Now, how many of you in your life, whether when you were young or even now at work, you might be a manager, supervisor, an employee. Someone comes to you and gives you a direct command. Hey, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and this. Uh, when I come, uh, for when I come back. Okay, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And as the person delays, you start realizing, oh, I got some time. And what do we start doing? What do we start doing? We procrastinate. We wait. We wait. We procrastinate. Uh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. I'm not ready yet. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. And then what happens at the, at the last moment when we know that person is coming home? I'll say when our parents are coming home and they told us to clean the house, what are we doing? It's chaos. Everyone's running around. Hey, where's the fabuloso? Bring the mop. Let's clean. Let's do this. Put that. Put this. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And then the parents walk in. You're like, <sighs> breathing hard and hoping they don't realize that you just finished cleaning up the house. And then mom comes in and says, you did everything wrong. You did everything wrong. But that happens at work. It happens to all of us. It happens to all of us because instead of being ready and being faithful, our nature is not to do what's right. Our nature is to kick back and relax. Now, 
You know, and that for me answers the question, well, why wouldn't God tell us the day and time of his return? Well, can you imagine the chaos in the world had God told us the exact day and time? Could you imagine the chaos the church would be in trying to rectify everything in the last moment, on the last minute, in the last second, and still looking up to the sky and saying, wait, 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 give us five more minutes, God. Give us five more minutes, just wait. The chaos would be, it would be crazy. It would be chaotic. And I, I, I thank God that he saved us from that. Why? Because I don't have to be wondering about when he's coming back. The only thing I have to do is focus on the task at hand. That's it. So when the world is going crazy around me, guess what I'm doing? I'm at peace knowing that the scriptures told me there was going to be chaos. I'm at peace knowing that I am doing what my master has called me to do and I'm being faithful with that. And that brings me to my last point for today. That my readiness is defined by being faithful and wise in all my master has asked of me. My readiness is defined by being faithful and wise in all my master has asked of me. I just go back to that that example, I mean, the, the chaos that there would be. Because in our nature, we wouldn't be faithful in working consistently throughout this time. What we would be doing is the opposite. We would be the wicked servant just waiting and saying, well, our master delayed. He was supposed to come in the time of Peter and Paul and the apostles, and he still hasn't come. It's 2,000 years, and he still hasn't come. The world wars ended in, 19, in the 1940s, and he still hasn't come. Well, he's delayed, so I'm going to do whatever I want. And what we do is we begin to focus on our own selfish indulgences instead of focusing on the task at hand and what God has called us to do in this life. Church, God is calling us to be faithful. He's calling us to be ready through action, ready in doing, ready in moving, ready in, 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 in sharing the gospel with others, ready in, in being the person God has called you to be. He doesn't want us sitting around waiting. He doesn't want us sitting around trying to predict. He wants us answering the call and doing what he asked us to do. It reminds me of Acts chapter 1 verse 6. The, the disciples are asking Jesus again, uh, just like they were in this passage, when is it that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus simply answers, the times and epochs set by the Father are not for you to know. But you will be filled with the, Holy, with the power of the, my Holy Spirit, of my spirit, to be my witnesses throughout the world. Again, driving home the point, hey, the times and epics, not for you to know. You don't need to know the day and time. You don't need to know that. Just focus on the task at hand and know that I've given you what's necessary. My spirit, the power of my spirit and my word to carry out that task and to do it in the most faithful way. And sometimes we ask, we think to ourselves, well, is God asking us to do something that's too difficult? Is he, is he asking us to do something that we've never seen or heard of? Who will be the generation that we'll see? Who will be the generation that will be able to look up and say, Lord, we're ready. We've been ready. We've been faithful. Church, let me, let me direct your attention to our Savior who, as he said here, stay awake, be ready. 
And one of the times where in the last moments that he had with his disciples, he tells his disciples, stay awake and pray with me. He knew the time was at hand, and he asked them, stay awake and pray for me. I'm going to go and pray to my father on my own. He goes and he's agonizing and he's praying because he knows what's going to happen. He comes back and he finds his disciples asleep instead of praying. And he again says, stay awake with me and pray. He goes and prays and, and we know that they fall back to sleep and Jesus is, is at that time, is, he's arrested and his journey to the cross begins. And when we look at God and we think and we say, well, the wicked in the time of Noah was swept away. God, how and the wicked will be swept away again in your second coming. And sometimes we can think, well, why so harsh? Why? Why so harsh, God? But we fail to stop and think of our Savior and to think that the only reason you and I won't be swept away during this time is because he was swept away for a moment. That in the moment when all of the sin of the world came upon him on that cross, he experienced the eternal, or he experienced the separation from the Father that you and I should be experiencing for eternity. That because he took your sins on the cross, because he died for your disobedience and mine, I will not be swept away, and I will not be taken away in the judgment and wrath, but I will remain in his righteousness because of what he did for you and me. Church, he remained ready from the time that he gave his first breath to the time that he gave his last. He remained faithful every step of the way, fulfilling every prophecy in Scripture that he would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of this earth, the sin of this world. He remained ready, he was faithful, and he carried it on the cross. And even after his death, he was faithful to resurrect on the third day, to defeat death, giving you and I the hope of eternity with him and his Father. So when we look at him and we say, Lord, we know that you were ready. We know that you were faithful. Strengthen us and help us to be that. Help us to do that. Help us be people who are in action and in motion and not people who are sitting by trying to predict and determine and trying to find the next prophet that will tell us when our Messiah is coming home when the greatest prophet of all didn't know. He wants us in action. But how does that look? What does that look like in your life? Does, does he expect you to be someone you're not? Does he expect you to do things you're not equipped for? God calls you to be faithful with what he's given you, church. You husband, he's calling you to be faithful to your wife in marriage. Wife calling you to be faithful to your husband. Parents, he's calling you to be faithful to raise your kids according to the word of God, that when they grow up, they would remain in that path and not become a detriment to society, but become a blessing to society. Sons and daughters, he's calling you to be, to, to be faithful in obeying your parents and, 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 and honoring your parents. He's calling you to be a good boss at work and not one that takes advantage of people. He's calling you as a business owner and a businessman to not try to take advantage of people in order to make another buck. And he's calling you employee to not take advantage of your employer and do the best that you can at whatever you're doing. 
Being faithful is simply doing the everyday task in a way that honors God and that shows God in our lives. And that people would see that example. Being ready is that when people look at you, they see our Christ. As Jesus said, that when they look on him and when they saw him, they saw the Father. Well, my question is, when people look at you, do they see the Son? It is being an example. It is sharing the gospel. And can you imagine a church that would be ready in action for his return? It would look like this. A church that's ready is a church that's in motion, in action. It's working to reach more people with his gospel, to take care of, the, of one another in the body. It looks after the less fortunate and extends love of the, the love of the Father to those that are hopeless. It focuses on the action of the Great Commission and not the evil of this world around them. It's a church, listen, that does not panic and fear, but responds with faithfulness and wisdom. God hasn't called us as a church to run around like chickens with their heads cut off every time they pass a law that we don't agree with and we're, oh, the end of the world is coming because there's wickedness. Of course there's going to be wickedness. Scripture says that. It's going to happen. Let's focus at the task at hand. Let's focus on, on sharing the gospel. Let's focus on reaching more people with the true living word of God that can change their lives like it did ours. Let's try to reach them with the message of a Savior who died on the cross to take your judgment and mine so that we didn't have to experience it. Let's love on one another. Let's do for one another. Let's put this into action, knowing that he's called us to make disciples and to baptize others into the church, reaching, reaching, and reaching those that are in need. I believe that a church as an action is a church that can be a great example to our community that when people look on us, they will see the Son and they will see the love of God that you and I have come to know and understand. But that can only happen when we are living in a state of readiness, in a state of faithfulness, not trying to be the next great prophet and determine when Christ is coming because no one will know, simply living every single day to fulfill what God has called you and me to do. Let's pray. Father, I'm so humbled by the fact that you would take the time. And when we look at these passages, when we look at this book, your word. It was written over thousands of years, but you took that time to reveal yourself to us as you did through your son. To let us know what things are going to be and how things are going to look, but more importantly, to let us know what we are to do and how we are to respond. But Father, sometimes we can get lazy and sometimes we can think that, oh, this is not going to happen in our lifetime. and We start thinking about ourselves, but Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for that. And Father, I pray that you would help us remain faithful as Christ did to fulfill our duty, to fulfill what you have called us to do as a church and as individuals. Lord, help us remain ready. 
Help us focus on the task at hand and not focusing on trying to figure out when this day will come. Let us be like the faithful servant who wasn't worried about the return of his master because he knew that when his master returned, he would find him doing exactly what he asked him to do. And Lord, that is where I want to be, doing exactly what you have called me to do. I pray that you would strengthen us you would help us, that you would give us wisdom and guidance through your spirit every single day. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.